Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Ava Adam, who is L&D Manager at Cast UK, and amongst the vanguard of L&D professionals challenging the status quo, repositioning her function to stakeholders, and leading with digital. In this episode, we explore Ava's journey to where she is, her guiding principles, and the actual work she's doing. This is an essential conversation and one that will provide hope and guidance to others. And I know you'll enjoy it. So let's get into it. Ava, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, Ava, you're Learning and Development Manager at Cast UK. And I'll ask you in a moment to describe your role and what Cast UK do. But we were first in touch at the end of uh, last year when you messaged me and explained that you'd pitched resources before courses and performance consulting in a job interview. And of course, you've got the role, which is the, the role that you have now. But my thoughts then, I suppose as they are now, is there's a risk involved in doing what you did. And it's much easier to take the well-trodden path of running and maintaining a schedule of programs and an LMS full of content, especially when positioning yourself at the interview stage. Can you tell us what compelled you to take the approach you did? Yeah, it was... I, I don't think I was thinking about it as very bold until until I actually done it. Because mm. um, for me, and, and we've been in touch before, the whole approach of resources before courses just, just made perfect sense. Mm. So one of the things, you know, when I went into for the interview and I, I met with Wayne, the managing director, one of my first questions was, is, you know, so where is the business going? What's the change you want to see? What are the numbers? What are we trying to impact here? Mm. And I could tell that was probably a question not a lot of other trainers or the professionals asked him asked him before. Uh, but from that point on, he just knew that we're on the same page about this. That mm. that my role, as much as it is to to provide coaching and to and to run certain experiments and and incentives, ultimately the goal is is to make this business more successful. Mm. So I think starting the conversation there really helped. Because uh, it just aligned us straight away. Mm. Um, and I think it gave him a lot of trust and confidence in me that whatever I do, and and I was quite, thinking back, I was probably quite bold in my interview <laughs> saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have people in the in the classroom unless I think this will have a positive impact on their performance and mm. unless I can measure that this is actually impacting their performance. And where, where did this come from? What, I mean, is this... When you entered the profession, were you seeing things that that you um, perhaps intellectually you were challenging, or was this developed over time? What what were some of the triggers for you? I think the the way I ended up in L and D was probably quite a bit different than how most most people do. Mm. So I used to work as a manager for a for a travel company. So I had fourteen people under me with three team leaders, and we didn't have an HR or an L and D function. Mm. So by default, I, I was like, oh, it would make sense to do some of this. So I started doing it and, and I kind of just fell in love with it. Mm. Um, two years ago, I didn't even know L&D existed as a profession. I accidentally, I was, you know, you're going through the websites, you're going through the internet and it just, a job description popped up. Mm. And that was one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, th this exists as a job. You, you can get paid to do this full time. <laughs> Uh, and that was it. I signed up for my CIPD course. Uh, I've done my level five and and just throughout, I, I think with the CIPD, they're quite forward thinking of mm. how they look at L&D. 
So I was quite lucky that I, I didn't actually see a lot of bad practices because mm. I've never really seen L&D in real live action. Um, and as a manager, you know, thinking back because I was quite close to business, I was I was running one of the biggest cultural exchange programs for the company. Mm. Um, I knew how important it was of, you know, looking at the numbers, looking at performance and and whatever I tried to do, whenever I tried to help, it was really close to the job. Mm. So for me, when I got into this role, it, it just made sense to to do the same, but just on a much bigger scale. Hmm. So it, it strikes me that you may or may not know of some of the preconceptions in L&D that you are challenging. I mean, are, are you aware more broadly of what you are going against the grain to do with, you, with both your thinking and your practice? So before I got into L&D, I was, I was not aware of it. And I, I remember sitting there in the, in, in the actual CIPD course and, you know, people talking about like, yes, but it's, it's really hard. And I'm mean, just being very puzzled. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why wouldn't any business want to do it this way. Mm. But then with my first L&D role as an L&D advisor, um, I, I got to see what it looks like when you have an established L&D department that's based on running courses and mm. And I think that's where I started to see those challenges of me just coming in with this very fresh way of thinking and, and people just kind of looking at me and going, what, what is that? What, mm. what are you talking about? We don't, we don't really understand what, what you're saying. Mm. And we've never seen L&D done that way. We've never seen anybody interested in, in our numbers, in our performance and, and really trying to get granular with that detail. And that's when it all clicked. Mm. It's like, oh, okay, this is, this is what a traditional L&D department looks like. It was also a bit of a confirmation that that's not what I want. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely want to continue on just doing something different. Mm. It seems to me that, uh, that you brought that in with you, whereas me personally, when, when I entered learning and development in the late 1990s, it was off the back of uh, seeing and being part of training courses that I would love to have run myself. And so I did run the apprenticeship in the classroom Um I've spoken before about this being, I believe, where where the common apprenticeship is is conducted and served, that you'll deliver somebody else's course, you'll design your own course. Um, you see the instant reaction from people and, of course, then the, the, um, the happy sheets at the end, which all confirm that you're doing a good job. But it wasn't until I had a very senior position in learning and development and I was actually sitting on the board with the, the UK the head of the UK business at Disney, and you realised these guys aren't interested in learning and development at all. They are interested in hitting the right numbers, in delivering the right products, at meeting customer demands in a in a changing environment, and that they don't care how it's done. Now, there is a lack of sophistication in their solutioneering, that they do think that it will be a course, but I know that if I say yes to that course and I deliver it and nothing changes... My neck's on the block. It's you know, so I saw it from from the other side. And whilst I'm I'm not saying that I wasn't aware that um, that that we weren't making a business impact with delivering the programs, and that I should have been thinking more about the business than the satisfaction. But what I am saying is that when you are on the sharp end and it and it hits you starkly that that you can't just do what what perhaps is recognised as the norm. It's striking. It's yeah. It's it, 
I don't know quite how to put that into words. I had a, just a visceral reaction <laughs> thinking you just can't, you can't escape, you can't run. And I think that, that that's what you learn in, uh, in, in learning and development. Yeah, I was quite lucky, to be honest, because the type of training that I was exposed to, um, it, it was a very facilitative, very coaching style uh, training. Mm. So from day one, you know, I never really, and, and that's what I got interested in. I remember, you know, the same way looking at that facilitative session mm. um, and going, I would, I would love to do that. But what interested me is making people think and yeah. making them think differently. So much more of the pull approach. Mm. And, and I was looking, I'm like, I would love to be the person who, who creates that change, but just by making people think out loud. Mm. So I never really aspired to be, you know, and, and you see this in, in L&D, I think, all the time. When, when, and it's, I think it's quite addictive mm. sometimes when people, you know, almost like get on stage and deliver this course and they love how much people enjoy it. And, and for me, that's almost closer to the entertainment industry yeah. than, than to learning and development. And if that's what someone enjoys, that, that's great. Mm. Until you know that, you know, this is what, what I want. Yeah. This is what, and this is the impact I'm going to have. But let's just not kid ourselves that watching as much as of a br brilliant presenter as that mm. person can be, just watching that will will make me a better worker. Yeah, because that's it, it's just a different for me. It's just two different things. I think that uh, the the to complete the loop of that addiction, one it's one thing to be the the center of attention and i'm trying i'm trying not to be derogatory here because i think that there are people who are good at that facilitation and um are good with a room but there is a distinction between that and then the old state sage on the stage the the person who is the deliverer of content the deliverer of training the the loop that i was then thinking about then completing the loop is the immediate response that you get from people i, I can't stand the phrase that i love to watch people develop because I don't think that when you're in a room, you are watching people develop. I think that you're seeing people have an immediate reaction to something that is happening, but that development is something that happens over a sustained period of time that, number one, affects the work, that affects what people are thinking about their work and then what they actually do. But you don't get that in a room. You get an immediate, largely emotional reaction to a lot of stuff. So... Uh, yeah, it's 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 there to be challenged. It's it's really there to be challenged. And what you just described there um, uh, about um, uh, helping pe people to think leads me on to my next question around your own principles for learning and development. You said there that uh, that 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 might be one, but when considering then at the end of last year, as you were looking to transition into this role and then look after learning and development for Cast UK, did you have an idea of of how you wanted? your L&D function to run or some principles that guided that? Yes and no, to be, to be honest. Uh, I was quite lucky to be put in the position when I pretty much had, had a blank page. Mm. And for a lot of people, that would be quite scary. For me, that's, that's when I'm in my element because mm. I kind of look at it, you know, this is, this is my playground and I'm just, whatever I do is going to, be better than what it was. So I might as well just give it a go and, and see what's going to happen. One of the things that that I was quite certain about is um, what I wanted to step away from, which what, what traditionally the company had 
is is being stuck in a classroom mm. um, for you know for a week with having. Um, you always joke about this at the company because I, I think before I joined, they had about a ninety-five slides worth of presentation, and you know, just going through it. Which, when you you know, when you don't have an L and D department, it makes perfect sense yeah. why you would do that. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do this, do this differently, mm. and and one of the main things for me was establishing what great looks like mm -hmm. for this company and identifying the the different types of needs. Mm. So what what I started with is okay let's let's have a sit down let's see what does a great recruitment consultant look like mm -hmm. for us what are the behaviors what's the knowledge what are other skills that might be needed um technical skills software usage what is it that we're looking for and once i got those that's when i was able to divide okay if i can say this is this is the knowledge that people need what's the best way to measure that mm. that that they actually that they actually have that knowledge and then kind of working backwards, what do I need to need to do to make sure that, that they have that available to mm. them? And then the other thing was when it comes to skills, you know, okay, what are the type of skills that we need? And, and again, how do I know that they're good at this mm. and how do I know if they struggle in and then working backwards from that? What I see a lot of times with, with L and D's is people kind of looking for that silver bullet that, mm that, you know, one way of, of doing things, but it just doesn't exist. Almost every single thing that you're going to look at, every different skill, every different knowledge bit, you're going to have to address it differently. Yeah. But that's what excites me because I get a real mixture of, you know, people just reading away and then telling me what they do. I might run a test for them if it's a, if it's a knowledge thing. Um, we might end up listening to each other's phone calls and giving feedback to each other, which is, Again, quite an interesting experience of mm. listening back to your own voice with having six other people around you. Um, but but I just found that if I'm addressing every single thing a bit, a bit differently, then I actually get the result and I actually get that, that readiness and capability at the end, what, what I need. And what you've just described there is that you're seeking and then addressing real needs rather than the assumptions that are largely made or the um what's articulated after a minimal observation that that it might be seen that yeah all the sales team need x training they all need to be better communicators and looking and thinking well asking the question really do they do they all need better what what, what does better look like i think that that from what you've explained to me before that that you don't just take that kind of statement as read and that you do explore that which might be frustrating for stakeholders yeah what what i've seen from from people we we're not not very good at challenging our own assumptions mm. and i think that's that's for everyone you know even us as lmd professionals sometimes it's difficult when we when we need to challenge our gut instinct mm. and go you know what it might not be the case we we actually need some evidence of this we actually need to to look at that data and go, is it actually what's happening? Mm. Or is there something different here? And it might be, you know, it might be one of those situations when, when I think a lot of times it surprises people more mm. than anything. Because again, it's just very unusual and, and our brain kind of tries to go against this yeah. the, to, to, to challenge what's, what's in there. But when you start doing that, you get very real conversations and I think you can just become a lot more objective mm. and 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 find the reality and when you're addressing reality 
that's when you get real results. Exactly. And I, I like to use the words assumptions. If we, if, if we are making assumptions about what we observe or what we feel as L&D practitioners and as um, for our, our senior stakeholders, then those assumptions are still there to be challenged, whether they're, ju- they're challenged to show that they are right or whether they're challenged and then they are disproved and that the, um, the, the pool of people that need attention is then much, much smaller. But then you've mentioned there about experimentation. So instead of just taking as read that the request is right, developing a program and then delivering it, it's much more about recognising, okay, that's then uh, an assumption. Let's find out what is actually going on. What is the current level of expertise, of of knowledge or perhaps know-how? And then running small experiments to see whether you can move the needle in in the right direction, which takes a lot more hustle than the... The reliance on the one and done delivery method, whether that be a one and done attendance on a program or one and done uh, exposure to online content. It's much more about helping people to achieve the results that they're trying to in ways that perhaps they've not experimented with before. Am I going on the right lines? Yeah, I think being result driven is very different than being course driven. Yeah. And you see this with, you know, I'm, I do a lot of research on, on, on marketing departments and, and the software world. Mm. And I think they're just so ahead of everybody else. And you can apply the same, the same principles. Yeah. And it's almost like if it doesn't work, why should we do it? Why should we do more of it? Yeah. And it's, it's the same with, you know, if I'm going to put something in place, let's see if that worked. And Oh my God, like when you, you know, when you do this, you're definitely going to fall on your face multiple times. Yeah. And, and I think that's, again, another thing that people sometimes scared of experimenting and trying something new because they know that at some point, like if you're trying something new, failure is guaranteed. Mm. But what you do with that and what you do with that lesson you learned, that's what will make, what will make the difference. Again, I'm quite lucky with, with the company that, that I'm with in the sense that because we were so aligned from the from the beginning, mm. I told them about this. I said, you know, I'm I'm going to do this. Is it going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But but let's just get on this journey and and let's get better and better at it every single time. Mm. And and I was very open to you know have anything I put in place challenged, mm. and they were very open to challenge it. They went, you know, that that just does not make any sense, or you never, you know, that that didn't work right, or and I was like, okay, that's great. Mm. I, I have something to to now change. And and I think when you're not really, when you're result driven, ultimately you're not precious about your content. You're not precious about your course. Mm. You're just kind of looking at it as this is just a tool for me to get the result that I want. And I think it's a very different mentality than what you see with a lot of people. Yeah. I think that that, um, you might be downplaying your own role in that by saying that you're lucky. I think that when you, from my perspective, when you talk to business people about business, I think that you can get them on side. Um, when you are challenging them on their own preconceptions of learning and development, but not by saying that um, their assumptions are wrong, but hey, look, we can, we can talk, if we talk about the business over here rather than programs and content, then I can help you to achieve your, your aims. And I think that, that that's probably the position that you've taken that you would seem that you're lucky but it's again it starts off your working relationship on on the solid footing and you know what you're going in to do 
I think that the other side of that coin is if the, you'd accepted a role to maintain a schedule of programs, perhaps overhaul induction um, to make it um, a better experience uh, and then introduce an LMS, it's, you know, you, you two years later, you'd be looking and thinking, yeah, look, I've, I've, I've done what it said on the tin, but maybe feeling less fulfilled than you are in the in the role that you that you have but i want to I want to talk about stakeholders for a little bit because it's one thing for us to have our principles and our beliefs and it's one thing to get the green light from the md but it's another thing to bring all the other stakeholders with you so what have you done in your time at cast uk to perhaps broaden people's expectations of what learning and development can do but also challenge their expectations of what learning and development might look like it's a, a good, good, good question. I think <laughs> I think a lot of time you just, you know, just end up you just end up doing it without even you know really realizing what what you're doing. One of the things that was really important to me is is from day one to develop a really good understanding of I call it the, the what keeps you awake, and um, and I asked this from a, from my managing director, from my sales director. I want to know what keeps you awake at night. I want to understand, I want you to come to me with problems. I don't want you to come to me with the solution. I want you to tell me what you see in the business. What, Where are you going with this? And, and I want to develop an understanding of it. And then I'm going to tell you, what do I see I could do for you? Mm. And you, you did have, you know, as, as everybody does, whenever it comes to like that, that kind of need of like, I need to make someone better and, they kind of go, oh, you know, we need to run this course or you need to spend loads of time next to the people. And I kind of just explained it to them and, and just used very realistic examples and, and used skills that they, they might need it mm. of, you know, how would you go about that? And there's, there's two examples I always use. One is, you know, learning to ride a bicycle because mm -hmm. there's no one in this world who would say that when you were five, six year old wants to ride a bike, you then get them into a room, show them a PowerPoint presentation mm. that, that has a picture of the bike and the wheels. And, and, then, and then once you've done that presentation, you give them the bike and off they go. Mm -hmm. No one would do that. That's right. Yet when it comes to us trying to teach a skill, this is how we do it. But how do you teach someone to ride the bike is you, you get them on the bike, you're holding them, you, you know, you're explaining as they're doing things, but you give them the safety mm. of you know, you're not, you're not going to fail. You're not going to, I'm, I'm here. I got you, but I want you to do this. And that's the approach I, I take in my training room. Um, you can ask any of the, any of the consultants that I work with. I always say like, you, this is not going to be fun. Mm. You're going to be uncomfortable and sweating in my training room. Cause I want you to have your worst phone calls, your worst mistakes in this really safe environment. And I want you to learn from that. Yeah. And that's the approach I, I take, I, I really like that expression. I, I can't remember where I picked it up from of that learning needs to be hard fun. And, and then just really stuck with me because mm. I, I want people out of their comfort zone. I want them to try things yeah. that they would never do in a, in a work setting um, because of that fear of failure that, that develops. And I think that really helps them to, to when they go back out and, and start implementing the things, they already feel confident. Yeah. I always tell them, you know, I'm going to be the worst client and the worst candidate you can ever talk to. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's okay. And I think that approach, you know, once I've done a couple of these, it just really helped for the other stakeholders as well. Because I may have, you know, I've, I've done a couple of these things about different topics with them as well. Mm. And because they've seen it in practice, they, they got involved with it. 
they've just seen the real the real value in it. So sometimes I think we need to get out of our our L and D bubble and and use examples that that they have in their life and and just kind of just just bring it to reality mm. and and just put it into a different context and and that really helps people. Uh, well, let's bring this to life now and look at specifics. Um, you and I have spoken before about induction and you told me that you'd saved a great deal of time on this by leading with digital solutions. Can you explain what you'd done and the impact that it had? Yeah, it, it has saved a massive amount of time in, in the sense of, you know, not that the induction's shorter. Mm. I think sometimes people measure, measure it on that. It's actually, you know, four weeks now instead of instead of one week. Yeah. But just having that approach of actually on on day four, you're already calling people, you're already doing the job. But I'm not asking you to do everything. I'm just asking you to do the bit what we've been talking about for mm. two, three days. So the approach I I took, which which saves me a lot of time as well, of, you know, just not being stuck in a classroom all day, is that anything that's knowledge-based, that content-based, I just let people digest themselves. So that's mm-hmm. right. I use the digital solution a lot um, to to get them because, you know, the, the content that's out there, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Mm. And especially when it comes to sales, when it comes to recruit, recruitment, there's a lot of great people out there. So why wouldn't I, you know, get that content close to, close to my guys? Mm. And so that, that really helps them as well, just to go on their own pace so what have you done there? You've got digital resources that are made um, with internal experts, with local know-how that, that your new starters will access at certain times. Is that, is that what you've got? Yeah. So, so one of the big parts is, is the digital solutions, mm. which, is, which is the curated content. Some of it is internally by mm. using our, our best recruiters and, and our recruitment managers and capturing that knowledge that's in the company. Mm-hmm. Some of it is external. Um, which is again great that you're able to you know tap into that, um, and that's kind of a lot of times I use that for knowledge when people need to just understand more about the industry and understand the how tos. All of the the face to face sessions they a lot more about just summarizing what they've what they've actually read and checking understanding, mm-hmm. which I find that you know unless you do it this way, that almost ends up not happening in the training room otherwise. So I'm in the position already where I can check their understanding, correct that. And they also have this opportunity of group conversation, which is, I think, just a fantastic way of of using that face-to-face time. And we also do a lot of practice in in the training room, which might be, you know, doing an actual live call in the training room in front of everyone or doing, doing role plays. But it's all very just the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Experiential. Yeah. It's it's all very practice based. It's all very it's it's an experience. Mm. And after that, what I always find is is by the time they they gone through that first circle, they they actually ready to do the job. Yeah. So they get out on the floor, they do the job for a couple of days, and then we come back in mm. and listen to it, how you're doing it, what did you find difficult? Let's address that. Let's get you some feedback. And then let's add the next part to it. Mm. And that's kind of the cycles that we go through for the first three, four weeks. Yeah. And what you get with that is by the end of week four, I know they can do the job because I heard them doing it. Yeah. I, I, I've seen them producing numbers. I've seen them performing. I listen to their quality. So I know that they're ready to do this job. Mm. 
And I think that just makes a massive difference when it comes to induction. And I think that's uh, what... So, so you're measuring success by people's readiness and then you're able to make a, an assessment based on, on observation and um, them, from your perspective, engaging in a, in a call the right way. So, but what I'm... What, First of all, it's it's the right outcome focused, and I know we've talked about this before. That you know, successful measure of of successful induction. One of those could be readiness, and I suppose you can have any kind of scorecard with any number of those. But readiness, if that's if that's your aim of your induction, is a key um, factor of of success. But what you're also describing there is allowing people to do what people do best. Now, people don't absorb a lot of information for the first time that it's delivered in a one-and-done silver bullet kind of experience. doesn't matter how engaging it is. It's, you, people just can't absorb that amount of information. So you've upfront given them access to that. I think timeliness is, uh, is a real factor. If they're facing unfamiliar situations and challenges for the first time, you've got um, a... Um, uh, a critical event coming up as well so they're going to be observed or they're going to face that situation so they've got a reason to engage nick shackleton jones would call that concern so there's genuine concern there which has given you've given them access to all the tools uh, not just um for education purposes but contextually rich know-how that that will help them in the context of the job and then what you've done is you've brought them together again to do what people do best which is the discussion the question the debate the um the simulation so the so the real practice you know all of that all of that rich stuff but you've not combined the two it's not been um activities and product driven it's been outcome driven and thinking so what is the best way that we can do this and as you've said you've you've elongated this over four weeks so that you can really get people ready rather than condensed it into one week because that's all you had yeah i think we you know, there's two things I see all the time is is we we underestimate people's need for autonomy and mm. and being able to go through things in their own pace and to develop through understanding. But we also really overestimate people's ability to learn. Yeah. And I think that's just something where where a lot of times people go wrong and you know, you hear it a lot of times around the professionals like, Yes, but I, I, I told them so. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you said. What matters is what are they now capable of doing, and and I think we just got to be we we just have to be careful with that, and and almost like creating that you know when you empower people to have that autonomy over their own learning, you're also creating accountability. Yeah, and I think that's just so key when it when it comes to running an L and D department, you can't be you know, on, on the forefront, almost beating people with, <laughs> with courses. Yeah. Um, you you got to create that need of, of wanting to become better. And I find it genuinely, when people are in the workplace, th- they want to get better yeah. at their jobs. And, you know, people who are not, you know, that's okay. But then they shouldn't be going on courses anyways, because yeah. it won't, won't make a difference. Mm. But I think the people who want to learn when they they feel like they can and they're not restricted to just courses and there's other different ways of doing this. Like I hear people doing random role plays in the office without me. How great is that? Yeah. You know, because they know that they're going to do one with me. That's going to be much harder. And and that's okay. Like that's that's brilliant. Yeah. And that's the mentality that I really want people to have in the company is it's just a want and will of of 
just constantly looking at their own performance and really understanding their own performance mm. and also kind of coming to me and going, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not sure. What what do you hear? And, and using me as a performance consultant yeah. more than just looking at me, oh, she's the, the trainer in the training room. So as well as people's appetite for their continuous development, it's important that learning and development can provide timely guidance and support as well. And this is something that you've been exploring with automation. Is that right? Yeah, I've been, you know, looking at just different campaigns that that we can run. Again, you know, having Loop as a tool, mm. it's it's great because I just have all of this at my fingertips and it's super easy to to do these. What I found really useful is it's just building up these campaigns and that that allows me just to target different groups for different content. Mm-hmm. And and all, and also just like sending it out when they need it, not just having it there you know, all the time and, and having too much in there. So it's always, you know, I might write something up that, that doesn't actually get sent to them for weeks. Yeah. But that's great for me because if I can schedule all those things, I know that that's going to get to them mm. at, at a good time and I'm probably already onto onto the next thing there. So it allows me to be a lot more proactive, um, a lot more timely and, and just a lot wiser with my own time mm. as well. I think that uh, that that's the the missing element that's the in learning and development because we haven't had the tools that we can provide great content and we can fill platforms full of great content. But if we don't understand what people are trying to do and when they're facing critical points of failure in unfamiliar situations or challenges, then we can't support them. But you know, flip that around. If we can work with uh, with a, a group of people, what I find is that that in transitions. The, the unfamiliar situations and challenges are far more predictable than than you can understand because they're bound by culture, the, the cultural expectations within the organisation that means that people do face things within a few days of, of, of each other. You've only got to see that. You don't even need uh, a platform. If you just bring a load of new managers in uh, that were promoted in the last three months, bring them together don't have any content, just start a conversation about what they're experiencing. Before too long, you're going to hear the words, I experienced that too, because of the cultural expectations and the, the parameters that they're buttoned up against with their, as they become consciously incompetent of, of their own ability within a, within a particular role. Um, but what other stuff, we talked about induction here, what other stuff are you involved in uh, at the moment that, uh, that, that's a high priority for you? Yeah, I think just, you know, back, back to that point, I would say that's probably the the biggest challenge in a role as, as L&D is, is, is capturing that, capturing the challenges, capturing the knowledge. Because a lot of times what you find is people are either past that, so they don't really know how they do what they do, yeah. or they before it, so they don't really know what the challenges are going to be. Mm. So one of the things that I spend quite a lot of time on is, is talking to our our best consultants and our our best managers, and really trying to capture what is it that you do mm. that makes a, makes a big difference and 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 something that really works. And how can I capture that in a way that that I can give that to people on you know week one, so yeah. they already aware where they going mm. and and what this needs to look like if they want to get to like a master level. Um, another thing I'm I'm involved with is. Um, is the performance reviews mm. and it, it became i think it's it's almost like a bit of a a bit of a bad word now <laughs> these days when you use performance reviews but 
just to create a, a continuous system when we're looking at a, a much more holistic approach. Mm. So one of the things, and we've, we've recently done this and, and we're just about to roll it out. So we'll see, we'll see how, <laughs> how it goes. But, but I got high hopes for it is not just looking at, and, and I think that's a challenging one in the recruitment company to be able to differentiate the effort people are putting in mm. and the activity they, they do in the quality of their activity, of how they do and what they do and, and also the outcomes. Because mm. a lot of times what you find in these industries, you know, the, they may have done all the right things and the outcome's not there. Mm. And how can I be measured on that when it's not really my fault? And I think that's a really difficult situation yeah. in, in recruitment. And when it comes to, you know, where do you get your job satisfaction from? I think that can be quite damaging. So one of the things that we introduced is, is looking at all of those and, and having clear measurements of all the, those three elements. So when the manager's having their one-to-one conversations, they, they look and get the person as a, as a whole and not just one specific thing mm-hmm. of what they do. Now, all the stuff that you've been describing here, um, it's, I mean, some of it's going to be the, the journey that the listener's been on. Um, they're going to hear some familiar, some unfamiliar situations. But hope, I'm hoping that as a... Um, as a result of, of listening on the, in on this conversation, they're going to be inspired to do something different. So considering where you were perhaps at the end of last year and the, the journey that you've been on, if you were going to give advice to, to the listener on how to, how to have the different conversations, how to, to bring stakeholders with you and how to lead with digital not digital versus face-to-face, but lead with digital so that it frees up the face-to-face to have a, um, a stronger impact. What advice would you give to them? I think the, the biggest one is, is to become curious again. Mm. I always say you, you almost have to have that mindset, you know, when a child is like walking around and going, I wonder what scent tastes like. And you almost have to have, go back to that mm. and, and not be afraid of, of doing things differently. And also just trusting, trusting the process. Mm. Sometimes you just have to stick with it because you might not see the results straight away. Mm. And you might have to have those conversations when, when you go, look, it's only been a month, only been two months. Let's, let's keep measuring it. Let's see what's going on here. And, and to become their best advocates, you know, of just really becoming confident on, on, on what you're doing. Yeah. I think if you if you combine that with with the curiosity and and just kind of jumping into it and you know a lot of times when I talk to people they they challenge me on oh you know it's easy for you you got you got loop you got a you got a managing director who's very innovative you're mm. genuinely working for a company that is trying to be really disruptive in in recruitment but I just say you don't have to have any of those yeah. you already have so many tools around you because technology is, is not the solution. Yeah. Technology is just a tool. Mm. And if you look around you in, in that way, you already have so many different things that you can use. Even just, I remember the first time I put, uh, we didn't have Loop at the other companies. Mm. The first time I put a digital solution in, I just done it on email. Yeah. And that was okay for that scenario. So I think the biggest thing is, is, is just go ahead and do it. Just give it a try. Just, just see how it works for you mm. and just get into that experimenting mindset when, you, when you're happy to change anytime what you're doing for the result that you want to achieve. 
yeah, and I think that's a power, powerful message. It's not about technology implementation. It's a mindset. It's about solving the real problems that are out there, being curious enough to uh, to explore what those real problems might be, as well with as well as repelling the assumptions that are coming in, like requests. But using technology as your tool rather than as the as the thing you're trying to justify. So, Ava, if people want to follow you on social media or find out a little more about uh, about you, how can they do that? I think the best way is probably LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, my last name is it's it's just quite a common name because right? mm. my last name is Adam. So, but hopefully you'll you'll find my picture there and then you'll know you'll know who I am. Um, and you know I'm, I would love to get this conversation going with a lot of people because I know it's difficult. Mm. I know it's tough to be in that position when you when you're trying to do something different and. And if you need a bit of proof of how that works and, and if I can help you with that, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Wonderful. And we'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Great. Ava, thank you very much. Thank you. What an inspiring conversation. Ava is an example to anybody who knows things need to change and wants to create that change themselves. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you could tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.